Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Hello, good Saturday morning. Jeremy White, Bert Deister here on Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Happy football season. Happy Olympics. Olympics. We've got an Olympic-themed broadcast in a way for you today. We're uh, kind of excited about some off-the-radar stuff, so stay tuned. You'll, I don't know I've, I've, how many times I've ever heard anybody talk about the beers of Brazil. Yeah. And with the Olympic Games there, I would imagine people will be drinking beers of Brazil. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to educate you a little bit on the beers of Brazil. But uh, before we do that, housekeeping. The Niagara Homegrown Homebrew Competition Entry deadline is September 10th. We're down really to it here, about a month at this point. Uh, any updates, any further messages, anything you want to get along to the people thinking about entering? The one question we, as we get closer and closer to the entry deadline, that we, the question we're getting repetitively is, if I bottle my beer the day of the entry deadline and bring it in, how long is it going to sit around? What condition is it going to be in until the actual serving date. And we are kind of following, uh, we'll say, a standard homebrew competition format where we don't start the judging until two weeks after the entry deadline. And we're going to keep the beers at about 65 degrees, 68. And so if they are on that edge of not quite bottle conditioned yet, hopefully sitting in a dark place, 68 degrees for two weeks, it should have plenty of time to carbonate. So if okay. you're if you're thinking about that last-minute entry, oh, I don't have time to bottle until a couple of days before, we got you covered. If by chance the you know it comes out and it's a little bit, well, let's say not quite ripe yet, how much of a difference can that make for someone that's entering a beer in? Like is that – can you – I guess will the judges taste that and be able to notice that and be able to take that into account? Definitely, definitely. If you rush a beer through um, and it has like, you know, certain characteristics. And when you talk about a green beer, a lot of times we talk about either, you know, diacetyl flavors or, you know, the green apple flavor, the dreaded acetaldehyde. And those things will break down over time. So most of the time, as long as you have relatively low levels that should break down in that two weeks while at bottle conditions, sometimes if those levels are high, um, you know, it, it won't. Obviously, okay. you break it all down in time. But um, the, the thing you want to avoid when you're rushing a beer to competition is trying to edge up the fermentation temperature um, to try to speed the beer through fermentation or speed it through a rest. And a lot of times, if, if you go a little bit too warm on your diacetyl rush or you pitch a little bit too warm, you're going to have, I would say, you know, like a big collection of, you know, phenols that are going to hurt you more in the competition than, say, having a beer that didn't have acetaldehyde in it, but like you were talking about, isn't quite mature yet. It hasn't really hit its prime. And that's an art to homebrew competitions that I would have to say the more experienced experienced brewers that really master so they're going to put a schedule down months ahead and maybe even a year or two ahead of what when they need to brew a beer to give it its proper aging time so if you're looking at like ipas or something like that you may only want that bottled you know four weeks three weeks before the entry deadline same with a pale ale um if you're doing say a keller beer or a hefeweizen or a saison you may be trying to brew that and bottle it the day of the entry deadline to give yourself every edge with those kind of you know fresh fruity flavors you're going to see in those beers and then other stuff like you know barley wine or lambic if you don't already have some sitting in the cellar, 
you know, six months out, nine months out of the competition, you're probably not going to enter anything. And so having a reserve of beers and kind of brewing to a schedule ahead of a competition um, really, uh, yeah, no, really gives you an edge up. Well, that kind of extends everyone's window just a little bit, just that little bit oh, kind yeah. of get it in. The entry deadline, the, the deadline with which you have to give them the bottles is September 10th. Uh, three 12-ounce 12, 12 unmarked amber bottles. You must use 80% Niagara malt. Uh, at this point, you probably already know that. I mean, I would imagine most beers that are going to be entered have been started, have been fermented, have been everything. I I, would, I just think if, if – most, uh, most of them, I would say most of the brewers that probably are entering have already started, but there's a few, and, and these are that same group I'm talking about of experienced brewers coming in, and they're just starting their pale ales. So if they were going to do a, you know, a pale ale or a bitter or a saison, they are actually just coming in to pick up the ingredients now. All right. No sours, no specialty. I mean, at this at this point, if you were going to do something like that. Again, you, if you've been paying attention to us in this competition, you've heard us say no sours and no specialty. So uh, best of luck to everyone involved. Have you been in contact with Niagara Malt about how it's going? Have they... Um, they're getting excellent just feedback a bit. Yeah, no, they're getting uh, people calling, asking, I think, probably for some insider information on, you know, anything. And, um, you know, we have been getting the same. And the one thing we've been telling people is, listen, we've had some samples out on the counter. This is a very universal malt. There's no heavy astringent flavors that will leave it to say, oh, you can only use it in a small part of your mash bill. Or, you know, any flavors that will completely dominate a profile you know, on a beer. So this is universal, you know, base malt. You have both a Pilsner and a uh, Pale Two-Row. Um, and so with those two styles, there's really, you know, not a lot of beers that you can't make outside certain regional beers. So if you can't get Munich malt, you can't make a Munich Hellas. But, you know what I mean, you can make a Czech Pilsner very easily. You can make a Bohemian Pilsner with the malt. Uh, and you can make an American. That's what we have on tap for people to try. So the intro deadline, September 10th. Best of luck to everyone entering the Niagara Homegrown Homebrew Competition. All right, on to uh, Beers of Brazil. You know, thinking back to we've been doing the show for more than a year. We've gone to Australia to talk about hops, mm -hmm. Galaxy Hops, right, those yep. Australian hops. Uh, the Netherlands, Germany, a lot of conversations about the grains from over there. We've been around the world. I don't think we've ever there's stopped. Not, there's not a lot of countries there's not a lot of regions that don't have that didn't have agriculture and also have beer in their history too it's the one thing you look at now the definition of we've talked about what that beer may be whether it's mostly honey based or you know some other type of adjunct but there's a lot of different beers all over the world and brazil actually has a kind of interesting history to well, it as well i mean brazil would have come from the portuguese empire right they speak portuguese so they speak portuguese but when i started looking at their kind of you know facts on their beer here and what their brewing history who their oldest breweries were um it really starts with german immigration in the 1830s um and that meant brazil's first beers were brewing german style and so they were you saw a lot of um Pilsners. And the oldest brewery in Brazil that opened up in 1853, uh, called fittingly Bohemia, you know, because they're making Bohemian style Pilsners and lagers, is sadly now owned by InBev, but it's still there. <laughs> it's still open and they still make their, you know, classic Pilsner as well as a couple others. When did InBev pick them up? Like 1862? I mean, <laughs> like they were on for a little while. Yeah. So Bohemia, Brahma, um, a couple breweries that are down there that are famous. What, what kind of, when, when you look at Brazil as compared to other countries in the world, 
What's their share of beer? I mean, is it a very heavy beer drinking country? They are actually the third largest beer market um, per volume in the world. So not per capita. What are one and two? Uh, China and United States, I think. Um, I think China is now number one, United States number two, and Brazil. Now, this is not per person. So this is not how much is being purchased by the average you know, person, but how much is being produced or consumed in the country as a whole. And they're actually the third largest market. Now, that market is sadly like ours, or at least like ours was, and this, you know, percentage is decreasing, is about, you know, 95 to 98, depending on where you look, percentage light pilsners. And so you see some very similarities between, you know, our history and their history. You have this, you know, big German influence that quickly becomes dominated by, you know, very light beers. And so there's definitely a commonality there. So are you saying we should pool our money, go down there, invest in craft breweries and let the explosion in? Well, I think the the, the explosion is already starting to happen. And so um, when I, you know, when you look on Wikipedia or you do a quick Google search, it may look kind of bleak, you know, for the Brazilian brewing scene. And I was kind of sitting there thinking, saying like, wait a minute, you know, we've had, uh, you know, microbrewers from Brazil come through our shop on vacation, you know, whether they're visiting Niagara Falls or just coming through the area. And they uh, they usually pick up some pounders of hops or maybe some dried yeast packets, so, 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 you know, something to try out, anything new. Um, so I went to Beer Advocate. Anybody who hasn't, you know, discovered Beer Advocate, it's wonderful tool in helping you find beers. I don't always trust the reviews on there, um, but it gives you a general idea of what to expect when you're trying a beer, maybe what style is, how much alcohol it has, what's its IBUs and color, where it comes from, slight history, and then a whole list of reviews from, uh, you know, different consumers. When I started to look at Brazil, what I very quickly found was 172 microbreweries. I don't didn't have a chance to look at like per capita, like how many are in the U.S. compared to people, but that's a really high number. It seems like I think it for for Brazil, especially because that number was much lower even ten years ago and in almost non-existent twenty years ago. I even found seven homebrew shops inside Brazil, so their beer scene isn't really becoming not that much different than ours. And I started looking at particularly uh, microbreweries in uh, Rio de Janeiro. And I found uh, very quickly one called Two Quebecas or Two Heads Brewing Company. And their tap list, which I found both in Portuguese and English, had a collaboration brew with Stillwater Brewing Company. Wow. So if you want to talk about is Stillwater, like the, where is that? That's in the United States, isn't it? And I think in it's Stillwater, Florida. Florida, that right? Yeah, right. I was, yeah, I thought so. Yeah. But it was just interesting to see all the way there a uh, you know a brewery from the United States doing a collaboration with a small micro pub in Rio de Janeiro. So it's you know if you want to talk about how the the really the microbrewer craft beer scene had quickly become global, this is a fine example of it. Stillwater is uh, I believe maybe even in Baltimore. I want to take that back. Yeah, Baltimore. Okay. Uh, by comparison, I just I you know you said you weren't sure how many breweries there were in the u.s i just started to google number of microbreweries and instead of completing u.s it auto completed in colorado so i just went all right fine once 1412 in colorado so i mean i don't 
I think Brazil, I, I might be guilty of thinking that it's like this vast, not necessarily a wasteland, but it's like this vast jungle and uninhabited country with some big cities. But that's probably not true. There's probably, I mean, it's very populous. It's a huge country and only 172 breweries. I mean, I think they're underserved. I think yeah, it's safe no, to say they're so underserved. Huh. But they're getting there. They're getting there. People like beer. They tend to, you know, get bigger and better as time goes on. So is there a, when it comes to, you know, we're talking Brazil because the Olympics and beers of the Olympics a little bit. We just kind of have theme on Brazil here today. Is there a um, signature beer? There, there is. And do you want to, maybe not a signature beer, but a signature style. Um, when you started looking at people like what beers, if you had to try, you know, one beer from Brazil, um, people said you have to try a malts beer or what we would probably know a little bit better as a Swartz beer or a black lager. And now there's several, um, different brands of these and they're also made by some of the bigger brewing companies like Brahma. But there was one that I found, Zingyu. Um, black lager that people were trying to trade all over the internet to get. If, you, if you've ever noticed, beer trades have become popular now. So the idea is if you go on a vacation, you grab a case of beer and you bring it back and you trade it with your friends or some other locals for maybe some other hard-to-get beers from the area, maybe impossible to get. And this, well, let me tell you, had some trading chips when you yeah. looked at the uh, when you looked at the different forums and stuff like that. So people were really interested to get it. And we're going to talk a little bit in the second program, but I mean, these Swartz beers are an excellent dark lager for you know warm weather. Um, and there's a couple of different ways you can make them, and so we'll talk about that in a little bit. I guess. All right. Well, let's take a break and actually do that. Dark German lagers that uh, are. I don't want to say native to Brazil. Obviously, they're native to Germany, mm-hmm. but uh, they would have taken on their own little style. It's Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520, Beers of Brazil. And uh, we're going to talk coming up about deep bittered black malts as a way to uh, to get there. So Pilsner is a big kind of thing in Brazil, and we'll get you to uh, dark lagers in a moment. It's ESPN 1520. Back on the other side, Jeremy White, Bert Eister on Niagara Traditions, Just Brew It. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. All right, back to beers of Brazil, or one of the beers from Brazil. Jeremy White, Bert Deister here on Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Any episode... Uh, you can find on demand at ESPN's website. Last week we talked about a few things, including macro breweries. Uh, we'll soon be including nutritional information, including calorie count. Soon, uh, we celebrated National Mead Day. We talked about water quality and uh, a couple other things as yeah. well. The Blick, the Blickman inline aeration and inline carbonation systems as well. Mm-hmm. So that's last week. Those are uh, on demand at ESPN fifteen twenty. So to the the, the rest of this week's show. Uh, we we started talking about Brazilian beers and the Malls beer, as you said, and Schwartz beer. Those are their styles. Uh, but a black lager, 
specifically. Yeah, and so a black lager you're talking about is primarily a German style, and it really balances kind of roasted flavors as kind of well of a light hopping, um, but really what gives this light-bodied lager's kind of signature style is de-bittered black malts. Um, while there's always a full malt profile in these beers, and everything from caramel to coffee, it lacks that burnt flavor that you think of indicative of stouts and porters and other traditional roasted malts. Um, and so this makes it a very, I will say, easy drinking dark beer. Now there's a couple of different ways you can, um achieve this in your own brewing and now the first one we'll talk about and probably the most traditional the most commercially done um, is to use de-bittered black malts now these come particularly from uh wireman is the, the main monster i can think of or who malts all the classic varieties we also see them so that'd be your carafa specials one two and three they also do a chocolate wheat malt that's dehust, as well as now um, Brees also does Black Prince and Midnight Wheat, and those are two different American dehust or debittered malts. And so by removing the husk, by removing a lot of the folic acid when you roast the grain, you tend to take away a lot of more of the bitter, more acidic elements of the beer. And so that when you use these malts, like you would any other malt in a mash bill, you're just going to throw it right in there. You're still going to get a little bit of pH change from it, but you're going to get really none of the bitter flavors, but more of the coffee kind of nutty flavors out of the beer. And so you can make these really deceptively dark beers that have, you know, not a lot of in-your-face bitter profile to them. Is this one, there's, there, I'm trying to think, there's one beer, is there a beer called Master of Illusion? Where, what, who makes it? I forget. It, it looks light but tastes mm-hmm. dark or looks looks dark and tastes light. Uh, and a, bla- a black lager is, of this style, traditionally one that in a blind taste test you might mm-hmm. not think is, is going to be a black lager. Yeah. You got it. So that describes it the best. It would be a beer that you, if you put a blindfold on, tasted it, you would expect it to look maybe, you know, golden to, uh, you know, dark amber. And you put your beer down in somewhere of a dark brown to an almost black. I mean, other styles you see these malts used in would be like black IPA as well or a um, black bitter. Um, to just name a few. So how many different flavors can you get out of a specific malt based on temperature variation or things like that? Well, you can get you can get a bunch. And, and really what happens is is there's different flavor compounds in your roasted malts. And all these different flavors have different solubility rates. And there's two variables that you can do to kind of play with these solubility rates. Time and temperature. And so by controlling those elements, we'll allow different elements of the malt to be soluble in water. And this will allow any brewer really to use any roasted malt as a de-bittered malt. So if you have a favorite, you know, pale chocolate or, uh, you know, Swain coffee malt or something like that, and you really want to use it, really want to get some of those flavors into your Swartzen beer, but you don't want that overwhelming bitter flavor, you can still use it. And there's kind of two tricks that you can do to kind of help remove, maybe not eliminate, but help remove some of those bitter flavors from your roasted malts. And the first one, and now if I can give a little bit of warning to home brewers on this, these are common home brew practices that when you go online you are not going to find uh really any of any good articles kind of explaining you know um any type of formulation in it meaning um 
nobody has sat done down and done like a late mass addition or a cold brewed like extraction formula to really kind of let you know how much color you're going to get out of this malt to really how much flavor. So for anybody looking to incorporate these pro, you know, this process into your home brewing, unless you find somebody else's recipe that uses this technique, um, you may have to accept with that the first batch might not be exactly right. You might either get the bitter flavors or you may have not as much color or maybe too much um, or too much flavor from the malts that you're looking for. So that said, that warning out there, let's say the first way is to do a late mash addition of your roasted malt. So we talked about controlling the temperature or the time. In this way, we're controlling the amount of time that the malt is sitting in there. So you're simply going to add the malt towards the end of the mash. Um, I tend to add it right at the end when I start to recirculate and mash out. So it's really only sitting in there for about 5-10 minutes before I start my sparge. Some people will put it in right at the sparge. Others will take it and they'll steep it right into the wort. Kind of like you were adding specialty grains to an extract batch. Um, and just steep it in there for about 10-15 minutes or until they see. And this may be the most reliable method if you want to add it in and brew day. Is to kind of take a look at the wart and start steeping it in there. Once you get the color that you're kind of looking for, and I would advise pulling it out into some type of test jar glass, preferably, to kind of get a good gauge of the color, you pull it out and you continue on with your process. Now, the other method, which is also, I think, equally as popular, is to cold brew your dark malts ahead of time. So you have to remember ahead of time to do this, but you're very simply going to take your malts, usually in a, you know, French press, and put your, you know, black malt into the refrigerator on cold water overnight. So before we were controlling the amount of time that they were sitting in there, now we're playing around with the temperature. And both are designed to not get you those really bitter elements because those are the hardest ones really to uh, become soluble. And you're going to get a lot of color, you're going to get a lot of tannins before you get these more bitter elements. We've got about five minutes left before we're done here on uh, ESPN 1520 on Niagara Traditions Just Brew. When it comes to working this way um, with these malts, it, it sounds like, you know, a lot of times when we talk about brewing, it's hard to screw this up. It's hard to screw that up. In this case, it doesn't sound like what you're talking about is screwing up. It just sounds like there's a lot it's of... It's a consistency and a... There's a, um, there's a lot of variability, variability that can happen. Yeah. And, and, and we can go back to our very basic homebrew advice on this. Worry about your main variables. Worry about your fermentation temperature and worry about your sanitization. Don't worry as much about how much roast flavor you're going to get. That's kind of the experimentation. That's where you're having fun. You can always make the beer again and kind of change, you know, the amount of time or the amount of malt you're using. But if it's a little bit darker than you wanted or maybe a little bit more bitter, these are drinkable mistakes. If it's really over-the-top phenolic or it's, you know, soured with, you know, some type of infection, those are mistakes you can't drink. And now you're going to learn from either, but you're going to enjoy learning with that overly bitter, overly dark beer. You're not going to enjoy dumping an extremely phenolic beer down the drain. So if we go back to our, like our basic premise, while there is a lot of variable and it's going to be hard to achieve consistency, and maybe that's why you don't see commercial brewers doing these kinds of processes as much because they're either you know, would have to cold brew, say, like, you know, 20 pounds of roasted malt or something like that. Um, 
it is an option for the home brewer and you know not the most consistent. So is it really not too much of a leap to say that you don't see a lot of dark lagers because they are so hard to get consistency in? I, th- I think that's that's definitely true, and I think it's also it's kind of one of those uh, styles that in the you know the craft beer boom has kind of been pushed aside instantly as people kind of exploded with IPAs, you know, pale ales, big Russian imperial stouts. But as I think as the, we'll say while there's still, you know, the industry is still growing, the kind of profile of beers you see out there, I think is changing. And you see like more definition now between your different like styles or variations of IPA. And you see, you know, now session IPAs becoming into, you know, popularity because guess what? You can have more than one. So I think it's a winner for the consumer. It's a winner for the, you know, brewer. It's a winner for, you know, the establishment you're getting the beer from. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it's it's a little more universally enjoyable. So wrapping up Brazil here, is it probably a long way off before Brazil becomes a it has the density of Colorado? <laughs> well, I just it becomes a tour for beer and a tour destination for beer enthusiasts. I I think if you were willing to sit down and plan out your map, looking around, and you were spending most of your time in major cities, you could very easily put together a nice little uh, you know pub brew crawl in Brazil, particularly in in Rio. Seems like there there's a lot of them there, and um, a lot of really cool beers being made. Um, so while you see most of the breweries also making variations of their traditional and most popular styles, you see a lot of variations. You see a lot of American style IPAs in a lot of these uh, breweries. So the demand is there. It uh, <laughs> is where I make the joke about the water quality in Brazil, right? Because of course the all the oh, stories boy. about the Olympics. Um, well, I think back to. Germany. Would would you say that you could probably expect it to be closest to Germany of any other country, really, because of the influences that they've had? I, I think so, and I think there's also a safe bet to make on that based on InBev's origins right. and you know their their availability of ingredients and you know not willing to put a lot of them into the beer. Uh, you definitely see this kind of like world flavor of bland light beer. But that said, Brazil also has its own unique history um, with dark beers and. And is making its own kind of pathway into the craft beer market with a lot of its own unique breweries and beers. Wish them the best in hosting the Olympics and uh, hosting and serving their delicious beer. That'll do it for us. Again, a reminder, entry deadline is the 10th of September for the Niagara Homegrown Homebrew Competition. No entry fee. Please submit three 12-ounce unmarked bottles for that. Uh, Must use 80% Niagara malt. No sours, no specialty, and beers will have two weeks to sit. So once you hand it in, if you're thinking it needs a little more bottle conditioning, it's not quite ready, um, you, you have that two weeks to sit for the bottle conditioning. We'll be back next week. Maybe we'll visit another country that's uh, taking part in the Olympics. Who knows? That's it for us, though. Enjoy- watch the medal count. <laughs> exactly. Enjoy the Olympics. Have a good Saturday. And go brew yourself. Beer, 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 beer. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.